Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. It's a privilege to have you join us for this episode. We're going to be talking today, Scott, about women and theology and the boundaries that God has established. Been a lot of discussion about that recently. We're going to have that conversation today on this this episode of the G3 Podcast as we think about can women actually study the Bible? Should they study the Bible? And should they teach the Bible? And what does the Bible actually say about that? We've just yeah. recently started uh, women's expository teaching workshops, and that question has even come up with relation to that. Uh, so I think it's a good topic to yeah to wrestle through. Absolutely. Well, as we dive in today, and as we consider, you know, obviously you mentioned the recent workshop that we've launched, and the purpose for that obviously is out of foundation for G three because what we exist for is we exist for the local church. Right for the strengthening of local churches, for the glory of God in the local church. And so, you know, as we think about that, um, you know, women have a vital role in the church. And, you know, you have certain competing voices that might say, well, you know, look, women should not do really anything except just show up mm-hmm. and sit with their families mm-hmm. in the life of the church. And certainly we would disagree with that. Right. Um, then you have others that would say, well, we believe that women can actually do anything that a man can do in the church so long as she isn't ordained to the office of elder. Right. And that's really the conversation happening in you know certain places in Big Eva or yeah. Southern Baptist Convention. And then you have other voices that are more extreme than that that would say anything goes, women can do anything. So we really need to just flesh this out and have the conversation today and really frame it from what the Scripture actually does teach. Right, right. I, think, I think we see, and this, this happens all the time, reactionary movements, right? So we've seen, like you mentioned, uh, even pastors within the SBC, this has been a battle recently of allowing women to preach, even ordaining women. So again, we we would see that as unbiblical, and we can talk about that. But I think what we're also seeing then is is those who think that that's wrong, overcorrecting, overreacting in the opposite direction. And this is true of any theological biblical issue. There are always two ditches. I don't want to, you know, it's easy to say, well, we're taking the middle way, right? But still, it is true. There's always, there's always ditches, and there's, there's often overcorrections and overreactions. And so, uh, like you said, we've just got to go to the Scriptures, and what do the Scriptures say? And we want to walk right down that, that path. Yeah, I think at a foundational level, we just need to summarize and ask the question and answer the question, what is the study of theology. Yeah. You know, you think about general revelation and special revelation. General revelation, obviously, we can see that the heavens declare the glory of God, and we can certainly understand that that there is a God by looking at at you know creation and the created order. But by just merely looking at the stars, we don't see and understand who this God is. And right. so really at a foundational level, the study of theology is indeed the study of God. Mm-hmm. And so he has given us a book. He has given us his word. And so we open the pages of Scripture, and it's in words and sentences and paragraphs. It is in these 66 books that he's given us that we actually come to know who this God actually is. I love the way that J.I. Packer says it in his book, Knowing God. He says, you know, what is or what were we made for? He asks that question, and then he says, for knowing God. Yeah. And so when you think about, you know, what he's saying, obviously we think about the study of Scripture, 
without the study of Scripture, it's really impossible to know who God actually is. Mm -hmm. And so really the question would be this, should women know who God is personally? Yeah. And, and are they permitted to open up the Bible for themselves, or must they go through their head? Right. And really, that's the question. Yeah, exactly right. I think that's the key. I think anybody would say, yes, we want women to know God. The question is, is does that knowledge exclusively come from their husbands, their fathers, and their pastors? That obviously ought to happen. And we might even say uh, that that that's the primary or one of the primary ways that that teaching happens. But then the question is, can can a woman read her own Bible? Well, again, I think most people would agree to that. But then what about other theological books, other theological inquiries? And that's where we're seeing some of the overcorrection, I think, with some who might say, no, she just you know she should read her Bible and she should sit under the leadership of of men. Amen, amen. But then the overcorrection is, and that's it. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, honestly, I, I really want my wife to be reading the Bible. <laughs> yes. You know, I don't want her to just sit at home and wait until I get there to then just open the Bible and read it to her. Right. Uh, I think God has gifted her with intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, God has, you know, gifted her with the ability to reason and to understand and so, and and furthermore, you know, as we, I'm sure we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, but as we think about even the the mother and the wife's responsibility, you know, when when we're away, right. when we're at the office, and so uh, as we think about home education, there's a whole lot of you know unpacking that needs to happen here at this level because when we think about home education. Home education is not some sterile education that's just like in a vacuum someplace. Yeah. It is a biblical worldview. Yep, it's discipleship. Absolutely. And so for us to suggest that women can't teach the Bible, they can't read and then teach the Scriptures to their children yeah. unless we're there present, I think is a massive yeah. error. That's absolutely true. And then I think we also need to be willing to say, you know, I, I can say this for myself, I am, I am the leader of my house— my wife submits to me. All that's true, right? So we believe in those biblical guidelines. I even, with qualifications, would call myself a, a, an ascriber to biblical patriarchy. Again, yeah. with qualifications, because yeah. there are overcorrections, right? The men are the leaders. But I learn from my wife. My wife reads. She mentions things that she's read. She asks questions. We have discussions. She recommends books to me. I want that, right? I want her to be reading, and then we having having discussions and and I benefit from her knowledge. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not giving up the role as the leader, and she's not she's not doing it in a, you know, she's not confronting me or um, usurping my authority. But I want her to grow in knowledge. She does have a brain. She does have insights and intellect. So not only do I want her to be discipling our children, and so she needs to grow for that. But I I benefit from her own reading and and, and knowledge. Um, she, you know, she reads a lot and reads a lot of things I don't. And, you know, there, there's a, there's a strength to that. I'm reading things that she's not reading. She's reading things that I'm not reading. We're certainly reading things both the same. So now we have, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know, one plus one is not two, one plus one is five. The, the combined knowledge between us as husband and wife, as one flesh, is even stronger if she is also pursuing that knowledge for mm -hmm. herself. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned patriarchy, and, you know, sometime back you can see, you know, back in the 80s, you see biblical manhood and womanhood and the yep. need for correction 
you know, from the feminist movement that influenced evangelicalism, and you have the coining of this term, complementarianism, and yet, you know, you saw figures like Wayne Grudem and John Piper that were very influential in, in pushing forward this idea of complementarianism uh, as an alternative, not to just patriarchy and certainly not to the extreme of egalitarianism, but what does the Bible teach? And for many, many years, I held to what you would call a strong complementarian position. I do, you know, I'm sympathetic to that position, obviously, um, but I would, as you stated a moment ago, uh, probably be more rightly aligned with, uh, you know, a position that's in line with patriarchy, biblical patriarchy. So really my own, you know, rationale, if you will, for, you know, reassessing my position on complementarianism was based on the fact that what we've seen in recent days is a re a resurgence in many ways of an attack, like a feminist attack and a feminist movement that has been reintroduced through the social justice movement. And so I believe complementarianism, that language has been greatly bombed. And I think that it's, uh, you know, it's problematic. I think that there's, you know, it's almost as if it's been hijacked. Mm -hmm. And so as we consider all the various different views that are out there, you know, we, we have extreme voices even that would hold to, uh, you know, a biblical patriarchy position that would say, absolutely not. Women are not allowed right. to actually read the Bible for themselves, study the Bible, and then make disciples through the Scriptures. Yeah. And I think that we need to push back against that and say, you know, at some point we just have to be cautious. And this is where, you know, wisdom comes in and discernment comes in to play when we're in the, the realm of theology. We have to be cautious not to throw the baby out the yeah. window with the bathwater, yeah. right? I agree completely. I mean, you know, everything's become qualified, especially with that term complementarian and people who are using that label, but they're really arguing for a sort of a soft egalitarianism. Right. egalitarianism. You know, I think we're, we're teaching through Genesis right now in, in our church's Sunday school and just went through the fall and the curse upon Adam and Eve. And it struck me as we were going through that, you know, a lot of the things that we're seeing are right there in the curse, right? Uh, the woman's desire will be for her husband, and that word desire is the same word that Moses uses in, in chapter 4 to describe sin's desire to take over and dominate Cain, right? So that's the idea. And so women have this this inclination to to usurp their husband's authority, and women have that within the church, so we've got to guard against that. But then the opposite is true, with men, uh, you know, me, you look at Adam, he, he didn't uh, take up his responsibility and lead his wife. He was with her and yet didn't stand against the temptations of Satan. So that's a propensity for a lot of men to not take the leadership. But there's also sort of a, a secondary propensity, and that is men who rightly recognize their role to lead doing so in a sort of lording over almost tyrannical matter. And again, it's those two ditches again. And I think that's sometimes what you see with some who hold the biblical patriarchy, where it becomes, you know, the wife is just, you know, stereotypically chained to the to the sink and do, doing dishes and, and you know, and the, the, the husband teaches her. Again, women have, have particular roles and men ought to teach their wives, but we don't want to go to the extreme of saying women can't study theology and can't even teach theology in certain context as prescribed by scripture. Yeah, and, and and I think that the you know an honest question at this point would be this when Jesus gives the great commission which we 
often quote, and we mm-hmm. encourage our people to be very much engaged in making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have to ask an honest question, and that's this. Did Jesus intend for only the men to be doing that, or did he intend for the church to be doing that? Because at this point, this is a critical question related to this overarching subject, would be, if women aren't permitted to study the Scriptures, how are they permitted to then make disciples of all nations? How are they permitted to engage in evangelism in their community or even missions abroad if they're you know, if they're really held back or if there's a boundary that God has established that would then prevent them from studying the Scriptures? Because obviously, you know, some people might say, well, you know, sharing the gospel doesn't really involve studying theology. Mm. And and I would push back and say, Absolutely. you know, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he then, you know, talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's which would mean yeah. that you need to know some things about God. You need yeah. to know some things about our triune God. So before you just go baptizing people, uh, you, you need to make sure that they understand the gospel. They need to understand sin. They need to understand the fall. They need to understand who is saving them. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think that that requires the, the faithful study of God's Word. Well, and plus, the discipleship is more than even just communication of the gospel. What does Jesus say at the end of that statement? teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So again, I I agree with you. If that's given to women as well as men, obviously in different ways and different roles, but if that Great Commission is given to women, then that means they ought to be teaching everything that Christ commanded, which means they need to know it themselves as well, which means they need to be studying and learning and reading and growing so that they can teach others. And like you mentioned earlier, at minimum, the evangelization and discipleship of their own children. How can they do that if they have not given the time and uh, the necessary energy in studying the Scriptures, studying theology for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I would push back against the idea that, you know, women today, you know, just feel this this insatiable desire for, you know, missions and to be a missionary. And so then they just, you know, set up a GoFundMe account and then raise a bunch of money and pack up their suitcase and their backpack and a whole bunch of gospel tracts and go over to some, you know, third world country and just start spreading the gospel. Mm -hmm. I would actually push back against that and talk about, you know, the, the right timing and the purpose. Certainly some women might be gifted with the the gift of singleness mm-hmm. and could actually go over and serve in some capacities, you know, where they're, you know, engaged in the discipleship of children in a local church setting. But uh, again, you know, some would say, even when I make the statement a moment ago, that we need to be encouraging women to teach and make disciples, obviously we would also recognize that that can't be taken out of its overarching biblical context. And so, you know, the Bible is actually the best commentary on Scripture Mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. And so before we just take one statement from the Great Commission, rip it out of its context, apply it to women and then just say, okay, now there it is. There's the marching order from Jesus. Just go and teach and preach and do whatever. Right. Obviously, we have the rest of Scripture to consider as mm-hmm. well. And yeah. so the rest of the Bible would then tell us and give us the appropriate boundaries, both you know in a positive sense and also in a negative prohibition sense. Yep. 
what women are called to and what they're prohibited from. Right, absolutely. It's in the context of the local church, even even missions, church planting, discipleship, all of that's within within the context and within the the biblically prescribed order right. of what that looks like. And we have lots of revelation about that, particularly in the New Testament, about how churches are supposed to be ordered. And so we understand the that women have an obligation to obey the Great Commission. Like you said, we set that in the context of the biblically prescribed order of the church, and then that helps us to flesh out what exactly that's going to look like. Yeah, so let's talk about the church. Obviously, we're talking about the study of theology, which is the study of God, which necessitates the study of the Bible, Mm -hmm. and then the Great Commission, which involves us knowing God and then being able to explain the gospel. But then when it comes to the church, obviously we recognize that there are different spheres. There's the sphere of the home, the sphere of the society or the culture, and then there's the sphere of the church. And, you know, there is a massive debate that is raging right now within evangelicalism about whether or not Women should be able to stand and open a Bible and teach in a mixed audience. So, you know, it could be a Sunday school class or it could be a small group setting. Or in some cases, they're arguing for that ability or calling, maybe even in a conference setting. Yeah, or even even Sunday morning in some yeah, cases. Yeah, of course, even in Sunday morning as well. And so you, you'll see that, obviously, um, you know, on social media, you'll see people posting things or, or suggesting these things. But really, the question would be this, what does God's Word say about mm-hmm. this subject? And I think the Bible is very clear. Like when we go to, you know, First Timothy, you go to First Timothy 2, you go to other passages, you can obviously see in First Timothy three that we have the qualifications of the mm-hmm. office, right? But then, if you go back before that, you can see where you know Paul is saying to Timothy that women should not be teaching or exercising authority mm-hmm. over men, right? And so, when you think about that, obviously, there's a distinction between the teaching, the act of teaching, dispensing information and doctrine. And then that of the authority, which is linked to the office itself. Right. And so, yeah, I would say that uh, that he's been very clear. But then, as you mentioned early on about you know Genesis and you know what we see laid out for us in creation, to establish his argument, what does he do? Well, what he yep. does is he actually goes back and he quotes from the Genesis account, mm-hmm. which is critically important as we think about the functionality of women. Right. In the local church, right. yeah, I often say you know, there there are some hard passages to interpret. I mean, even you know Peter says that about Paul, right? But but second, uh, First Timothy two is not one of them. Right. I mean, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority, and like you said, rooting it in the created order, uh, you can't get more clear than that. Mm-hmm. But of course, people try. They try to to. to go all all sorts of ways to to argue against that. By the way, I just happen to have a book uh, from G3 Press on that very topic uh, to recommend uh, Why Sally Can't Preach, uh, and it deals with those very issues. The attacks that are you know very much coming in, specifically Rick Warren, Beth Moore, and those sorts of attacks, uh, the quasi-biblical arguments they try to use in favor of women preaching and or being ordained to pastoral ministry, and and Jacob Tanner does a good job of showing how 
No, they're, they're, it's unambiguous, the language mm. there in a text like that. Yeah. Uh, or even, like you said, the qualifications. How can, how can a woman be a one-woman man uh, um, if, if, it's a, if it's a woman, that the qualifications just don't work? Yeah, Scripture is clear that a woman cannot, uh, as Paul says there, exercise authority, period, which includes the office of a pastor and closely tied then to the particular gift given to that office, and that is the preaching of God's Word. Absolutely. Oftentimes in a, in a conversation like this, people will say, well, you're just being negative, saying mm-hmm. what women can't do, what yeah. women can't do. We talked about this at the opening, that we've actually established workshops for women, biblical uh, teaching workshops for women, for the purpose of saying, actually, this is a good thing, right. and this is what women can do. Right. Uh, but as we think about First Timothy, uh, oftentimes people go to the passage and they just quote the negative aspect, mm-hmm. you know, that I do not permit you to teach or to exercise authority over men. But if you read that passage, what you also see is that he's actually uh, encouraging women in the church to be learners. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a revolutionary statement in that day. Absolutely. Because yeah. women were actually not permitted to be learners. Right. So it is it is quite evident that it is God's will for women in the church to be learning who God is and to study theology so that they can be actively engaged in you know, opening their mouths and teaching the Scriptures. And I think if you just really look at Paul's ministry and you see like the ending of Romans is indicative of this, I mm-hmm. think, is that he's very complimentary of women and how they had been influential in his ministry— some of them were, you know, serving in various capacities, like a Phoebe. You have others that were engaged in, you know, acts of mercy and, and that sort of thing. You can see even families moving to just help the Apostle Paul as he is going from city to city yeah. and place to place. Uh, but but the point is, is that God actually uses the influence of women. You think about Lydia, for instance, mm-hmm. and you can go throughout the book of Acts and you can see how God raises up certain women— and he uses them for his glory. Well, just think about Timothy himself. Absolutely, who is it that brought Timothy to Christ, to, or, or you know, to the to, to the the knowledge of God through the Scriptures, through the Holy Scriptures? Yeah. It was his mother and his yeah. grandmother. Yeah, we don't see his father and grandfather named, right? And we don't really understand why. We don't have the commentary on that. Um, people can speculate, but what we do see is that his mother and his grandmother had apparently come to faith, and they had discipled their son and grandson mm-hmm. through the faithful you know doctrines of scripture right right and then of course we have to bring in Titus 2 mm-hmm. i i don't understand how again some of these overcorrecting uh men who are trying to say women ought not teach in any capacity what do they do with Titus 2 where there is clear instructions that older women are to teach younger women right uh and does that not include theology? Yeah. Does, I mean, everything is theological, even if we're just talking about, I mean, as the text says, how to love their husbands, how to love their children. Well, there's there's got to be a biblical rationale for that, yeah. which includes theology. How, how do they do that unless women are studying the scriptures themselves and being taught and learning and growing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I reject the idea that all of those women were doing in the, you know, in, in the life of that church setting in Crete was, you know, 
teaching knitting classes and, <laughs> you know, sitting around talking about recipes and, you know, etiquette or something like that. Yeah. I, I believe that, you know, the reference there is obviously the the dispensing of biblical truth so that these women could understand how they were to actually um, love their husbands and, and, you know, order their homes right. so that what? So that the word of God would not be blasphemed. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I think I think that that's crystal clear. Yeah, yeah. Again, we've got to be careful of of both ditches of overcorrecting. There's so many there's so many movements right now on so many topics that we don't we won't get into in this episode of overcorrection. Yeah. I think the the culture has devolved in so many ways. The church has devolved in so many ways, and we agree with those criticisms. We agree that things have devolved. And in this issue, this particular uh, issue in particular, uh, the the feminization of the church, the the growth of egalitarianism, even under the label of complementarianism, we agree that that's a problem. But you don't react pendulum swing in the complete opposite direction, so that you're no longer biblical. That we've got to use scripture. I I've, I've heard this said by by men in uh, online. Uh, that what we're seeing is we're we're just reacting. We're we're changing our theology in a reaction to what we're seeing in the 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 devolving of the society and the church. We should never change our theology just as a reaction to things that are happening. Right. Our theology ought to be derived from the Word of God. Yeah. We absolutely need to put boundaries on what women do in the context of a local church because Scripture does. But at the same time, we need to lift them up and place them in the proper role that Scripture has given them in discipling their children in learning and growing theologically, and then commuting, communicating that theology, again, to women and children. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what we have stood for historically at G3 has been just putting our anchor in the Scriptures yeah. and saying, this is what God's Word says, and we're not going to adjust this ministry just because we see a wave of you know conversation that's happening in the culture. Right. We're not going to try to always see if we can be on the quote-unquote right side of history. Mm-hmm. Um, if we are anchored in the scriptures, we are always assured that we're going to be on the right side of history, Absolutely. regardless of what the culture may say about us, because we ultimately care about what God thinks about us, right? right? right. And again, we do stand up when there's certain things that happen in the culture or in the church. I mean, you did this with a social justice statement, right? But even with that, you weren't saying anything new, right? You were saying what the Bible says, Absolutely. right? And and that's, we, we do need to respond to problems that are happening in the church and in the culture, in, in culture but I agree with what you said completely. We anchor ourselves in Scripture and use that to respond, not some sort of philosophical or theological overreaction to what we're seeing in the in the devolution of the church and culture. Yeah, so as we sort of put a capstone on this conversation today, I think it would be really helpful for us to just articulate with clarity mm-hmm. that you know our sisters in Christ in the local church are not— held back from flourishing. They're not held back from using their gifts. They're not held back from, you know, discipling and making disciples and teaching children and teaching their own children or grandchildren or other ladies. Um, What they are held back from is really what God has established in the very beginning, a specific order in all of the spheres, the three spheres that we've discussed And that is ultimately for his glory. And for us, and I've said this before, for anyone for that matter, 
to ask a woman to do something that God has not called her or gifted her to do would be an abusive you know, right. treatment of women, I think, in the life of the church or within, say, like a denominational setting. Yep. We need to be cautious against that. So it's not about giftedness mm-hmm. in, in the sense of like intellectual capacity. Right. It's not about you know, a, a, a person's assessment on, you know, like vocabulary, like can a woman actually speak and articulate theology well? Well, obviously the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Many women I've actually heard articulate theology better than a lot of preachers that yeah. I've listened to, right? <laughs> um, so that's really not the question. Right. The question is simply this, what does God's Word say? And we are bound to obey God's yeah. Word. Yeah, Absolutely. And we just want to encourage you know the men who are listening to to encourage your wives to learn and grow in the scriptures, right? Uh, if a man is growing theologically, if a man is reading theology and reading scripture, and his spiritual life is deepening and growing, and his wife's is not, that's going to harm the marriage. It's going to harm the relationship. But if our wives are reading and studying and growing and imparting that knowledge to our children and to other women, and we're doing the same then we're able to grow together in in love and fellowship with one another as a husband and wife. Yeah, and I think that that is the, the, the critical issue of the day is we see a lot of men who are just passive, so passive, mm. that they have sat back in the home and just watched ESPN and Fox News or whatever else or just been on their phone so much that, you know, the 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 mom in the home and the, the wife in the home, she feels, you know, like we need to be teaching these kids yeah. – the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so then she just takes it up, you know, upon herself to do this. She's the one leading family worship. She's the one that's doing all of the theological study while dad sits back and just, you know, engages on, you know, hashtags on Twitter or (laughs) X or whatever it is now. Right. And so obviously, as you stated, if men are actually leading, then it's going to create this, this discipleship culture in the home that will then influence the wife and the mom in the home to be doing that as well, but she's still following the leadership of her husband. Absolutely, and that's critically important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not giving up leadership to encourage your wife to read. Right, right. That, that's I think the problem. It, we, we, you know, some men think if they're not filtering everything their wife is is reading and 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 not you know only having her listen to him, then he's not somehow leading. No, I mean you should have the kind of relationship with your wife. Or you're not worried she's going to go off in some weird trajectory because of what she's reading. You should be constantly having conversations with your wife about theological matters and biblical matters. And, and again, that that is the kinds of uh, kind of marriage relationships that we want to see. Strong marriages where husbands and wives are growing together, the husband absolutely leading, but willing to listen to his wife, have conversations. I mean, I've said this before. A man who doesn't listen to the counsel of his wife is 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 dumb, right? Yeah. We need our wives. We need their perspective. We're not giving up our authority in doing that. We're leading them to participate in this family and in this marriage. Yeah, but if you come home from work and you find Jesus calling, sitting on your coffee table, well, then obviously there needs to be a, a, a corrective conversation there, right? Right, and the conversation should not be, 
I didn't allow you to read this. The conversation yeah. should be, why are you reading this? What's in there? Let's talk about the problems with it. Yeah, right? And don't we read see it. Our, our, and don't read it, right, yeah. because of these problems, not because, you know, I somehow have have this, you know, mandate in my home that I, I, have, I have an approved list of things. No, mm-hmm. we want to teach, teach our wives to be discerning. Sure. Right? So, yes, don't read this. Here's why. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and have have conversations that will help her to grow. Yeah, because the the role of the husband is to be yes a provider, but also a protector, and that's yep. not just physically. Absolutely, it's also spiritually. Yep. And so you know, in the case you have a man that's you know he's not you know he's not as up to speed theologically maybe as his wife. Maybe he just doesn't like to read a lot at all. Maybe he's you know just more inclined to you know blue collar sort of environment at work and he just comes in he's not really a big reader he's just trying to do enough to you know just to just to know god and study the bible faithfully but he's really not reading he doesn't have an insatiable appetite to just be reading a lot and maybe his wife does and if he's married to a woman like that then he's obviously going to need to be looking at what is she reading yeah, absolutely. and need to uh, you know at least have conversations about what in the world you know uh, is the, is this specific author or theologian teaching uh, to be able to manage his home effectively? Yeah. But it's not this 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 domineering mm-hmm. approach that I think that we're seeing mm-hmm. espoused uh, on social media and various different places within evangelicalism. So we just need to be cautious about that. But at the same time, uh, this this conversation is very important because it helps us to frame things mm-hmm. not from just a reactionary position, but but mainly from the position of God's Word. So yes, women should be teaching, making disciples, and doing all of this for the glory of God. Any final words before we land? Well, I just, you know, talking about uh, education, discipleship, theology, uh, we happen to have a good resource for that, and that is we just announced recently the the brand new G3 Plus app. There's an app for that. There's an app for that, yeah. yeah. If you go to plus.g3min.org, there's a web version. It's also available for iOS and, uh, and Android. And one of our goals really in this is that this is a resource you can trust. You know G3. You know what we stand for. So this is an app you can hand to your children. You can hand to your wives. Uh, and there's there's all of our G3 Press Books are on G3 Plus in ebook format. There's audiobooks. There's, of course, sermons. There's teaching series. There's so many wonderful resources uh, in, in that app. And uh, we have a special uh, opportunity just for our podcast listeners. If you go to plus.g3min.org and subscribe and use the coupon code G3podcast, uh, you can get your first month for free. So Fantastic. that's an opportunity. Yeah, it's a great opportunity, Scott. In fact, I, I want to commend the app to you all. Um, the app is a wonderful tool. Uh, you're going to see video content. You're going to see podcasts. You're going to see sermons. You're going to see various different resources there for you to use. And one of the cool things about this app is that it provides you the opportunity to have at a subscription level access to everything that we have, which includes the entire library of G3 Press, and then every single book that we publish in perpetuity, you will have access to. Sometimes a book or two a month will be added, and so it's going to be there at your fingertips, has a really nice you know, functionality in terms of, much like the Kindle 
Uh, and so you'll be able to use that, change the settings, the colors in the background, the the font. You can increase the size for readability purposes and that sort of thing. So I want to commend that resource to you. It's a wonderful tool. You can use it in the life of your home as well. And so you can also, you know, if you have a long commute to work, you can, you know, catch up on the podcast or other mm-hmm. resources there yep. as well. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of the G3 Podcast. It's our privilege to uh, serve the local church and to be a resource for the local church. Uh, Our goal at G3 Ministries is to come alongside and to strengthen. We do not see ourselves to be an authority over the local church. We see ourselves existing for the glory of God in and through the local church to strengthen pulpits and to encourage and to equip Christians to persevere in the faith. May God bless you. See you next time.